welcome to the Litigation Finance Podcast. I'm your host, John Freund. This podcast is brought to you by Litigation Finance Journal, the only dedicated news source to the litigation finance industry. Please visit www.litigationfinancejournal.com. Our guest today is Sina Tusi, founder and chief investment officer of Tusi's Capital, an investment fund that focuses on litigation-driven investments arising from restructurings, bankruptcies, commercial disputes, corporate malfeasance, and regulatory events. For the past 15 years, Sina has sourced and led legally driven investments in many of the largest and most complex restructurings involving both major corporations and sovereign and quasi-sovereign entities. Sina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, so, Two Cs launched in 2021, and there's been a lot of evolution in the litigation finance space since then. So, I want to start by asking you about some of the important trends that you see impacting the industry as we enter 2024. What are you keeping an eye on right now? Uh, thank, thank you, John. Yes, there's, there's certainly been an evolution of the litigation financing um, industry. You know, long gone are the days uh, a decade ago when the Burfords and Parabellums and Benthams were able to find really exciting litigation situations. Um, the market has just become oversaturated or at least certainly saturated with uh, a lot of litigation financing startups. But more importantly, a lot of law firms have started getting into the litigation financing business through contingency arrangements. When, when a prestigious firm like Quinn Emanuel is willing to take on litigation financing on a contingency basis, it's kind of hard for others to compete against, uh, against them. And so my strategy having seen this and doing this for over almost 20 years now, is to find our own litigations and to find these litigations in public securities where there really is no competition from a lot of the litigation financing business. Um, that, that was really the genesis of the fund. It is really a, a market to ourselves right now, um, and it avoids our need to, to compete with like the really big firms like the uh, Benthams and the um, Burfords and Parabellums, who have excellent underwriting practices, but um, it, it's a hard business. And so we've gone in this different direction where we're looking for litigation opportunities in public markets. And that is really uh, the, the basis and, and reason I created 2Cs Capital. Yeah, so let's dive into that a, l- a little further. So your 2Cs is a, an event-driven hedge fund in the litigation funding space. Right, so you, you, you touch on the advantages there, but if you could um, ex- explain that a bit more, what, what advantages do you have as you approach the market? And also, what are some of the unique challenges that you face? Sure, sure, and, and, and maybe perhaps a, a, an example I can give, and it's been the fund's probably most successful investment to date. Um, it, was, it was a public company called Indivior, and this was a company that's heavily capitalized, was sitting on tremendous amount of cash, but had this criminal, case against it by the DOJ. And it rendered the stock uninvestable for most investment professionals. Now, of course, I could have approached the company with a litigation financing opportunity, uh, giving them $10 million. And if I thought, which I did, that the company would survive and actually win its litigation, I could have made what a traditional litigation financing firm would make, 3x maybe even 4x your money. So that 10 million would have turned into 40 million. Nothing to scoff at, a great return, 
But we invested almost 30 to 40 million into the stock of the company. And today, when we invested in it, that was a 300 million market cap company. Today, it's a two and a half billion dollar market cap company. That 35 million is now 235 million. Um, and we were able to generate almost 200 million of P&L, which we would not have with a litigation financing situation since you usually just give them enough for the litigation. But this is where it's the real difference between us and litigation financing. As we watched the trial progress, I added to the position. I was able to increase our exposure, something a litigation financing person just can't do. Uh, the company certainly won't want any, doesn't need any more litigation financing. And conversely, let's say the case was going badly, the judge was asking very terrible questions, we could have sold our position out of it, perhaps for a small loss, perhaps even for a small gain. But that is the advantage of our type of litigation investing. We're able to capitalize on movements up or down, positive and negative on the litigation. So that is one of the positives that allows us to enhance our returns or cut our losses very quickly, whereas a litigation financing person has to fund to the very end. In terms of disadvantages, um, is that you really have no control or say in the litigation. Usually the company runs on its own and you're just an observer, whereas a litigation financing party sometimes gives themselves control rights, potentially the ability to influence settlement, or even hiring the lawyers for the company to allow them to have a better or bigger say in the litigation. We don't have generally that opportunity, but I, if we have time, I can mention how we are able to still do that in other contexts um, and, and in some situations. But in general, that's the disadvantage. You are just an observer more often than not, and you have to take what happens a lower settlement that you would potentially not want. Um, and, and, but, but that's generally it. I'd say on balance, there's much more advantages than disadvantages. Yeah, that's a really interesting approach. Um, and so just getting into your the strategy, specifically um, one of the sectors that you invest in is, is uh, you deal with bankruptcy claims. Um, what are you seeing right now in terms of bankruptcy litigation? This is an area that litigation finance has dealt with historically coming from bankruptcy. So where do you see that sector headed right now? Yeah, look, I think that is the area where I've, that, that's been my playground for almost 20 years. And this is, this is actually where there's a hybrid where you do have influence on the litigation. And you start out by buying the bonds or bank debt or even the equity sometimes in Hertz. We led the ad hoc equity committee in Hertz and allowed for that restructuring to happen. Before our involvement, you would have gotten wiped out. Um, but equity is, is the hardest part of bankruptcy. We generally buy bonds, unsecured bonds that usually have a legal claim. And we assert our legal rights in the bankruptcy. But this is where the litigation financing comes in. We enhance those returns. So whereas our bonds can potentially do better in a legal battle in bankruptcy that our bonds, for example, should not get wiped out or we have uh, avoidance or fraudulent conveyance claims, as the bondholder and the party in interest, we then do the litigation financing. And it doesn't get shopped around to the Burfords and Benthams and Parabellums of the world because 
Why would I want to do that? I'm actually the company now. As a bondholder, you step into the shoes of the claim and you provide the financing. Now, it's usually done on a club basis amongst the bondholders, usually the largest bondholders. But in countless bankruptcies over the last 10 years, we have had exclusive rights to provide the financing, sometimes for situations we create ourselves. And so we're not going to a company or like a litigation financing person does or to a law firm and says, what do you have for me to finance? We find the litigations in bankruptcy, buy the bond, assert our claims, and then provide the financing on the way out. We're actually doing that right now with Endo Pharmaceuticals. Uh, we're not at the litigation financing stage, but we certainly, I was part of a ad hoc group that led the fight for recovery on behalf of the bondholders. But we have this world, this litigation financing is one area where the litigation financing firms have just not penetrated yet, um, primarily because they don't have bankruptcy and restructuring expertise. Definitely a unique approach from what, from what we normally deal with when on this podcast, especially with, with direct litigation funders. Um, so that's very interesting. Um, what about sovereign wealth funds? I mean, you uh, invest in claims involving sovereign wealth funds. So I'm just curious if that brings in another dimension to this. It, it's much harder. Um, my old firm, VR Global, uh, probably the most successful emerging markets fund in the world, been around for 25 years. Uh, we've been in battles against Argentina, Greece, Ukraine, Pakistan, Nigeria, you, you name the sovereign, we've had, uh, we've had involvement. My experience from my almost uh, eight years at VR is that sovereign litigation is very hard. Um, there's, for example, this large claim that Burford has in what's called the Pedersen unit. Um, I think there's a misconception in, in the market as to what enforcement rights Burford could ever have. And frankly, it's virtually nil. Uh, I know because I was involved in almost 10 years of litigation against Argentina, almost all of their assets are uh, ring fenced. Um, if you try to get oil or any shipments of soy, because they're the largest soybean uh, exporter, um, the soybean is the property of the buyer the minute it leaves the port and enters the ship. Bondholders, sometimes you think, well, certainly um, Elliot was able to stop bond payments, but that was because of the Parapasu clause. That is gone. And Burford, for example, has no Parapasu rights uh, in any of their claims against Argentina. So if any payment of interest is made on external debt of Argentina, Argentina has done something very, very clever. They use a paying agent as opposed to a trustee. That means the minute the cash leaves the central bank of Argentina and hits the paying agent, it is property of the bondholders. And so no one can attach those assets. It's a function of the fact that Argentina has been a serial defaulter and their assets are almost entirely ring fenced. Everyone talks about Argentina Elliot being able to confiscate a ship uh, in Angola. Well, that lasted for two weeks before that ship was returned back to Argentina. So long story short, I am weary, and of my 20 years doing this, I'm weary of sovereign debt, um, uh, bankruptcy, uh, not bankruptcy, I'm sorry, claims uh, acquisitions and, and enforcement and litigation. So we generally try to 
avoid that. Where we make an exception, for example, we're involved in a public company that has a NAFTA arbitration against Mexico, that's more interesting to us. NAFTA is a, a tried and true um, uh, treaty. Mexico's largest trading partner is the United States. It is hard to imagine if we succeed in our litigation that our, that Mexico will default against its largest trading partner. More, off, more, more importantly, unlike Argentina, Mexico has never defaulted on its extra on its debt. And so this is something that we felt a little bit more comfortable in the sovereign space. But in general, whether it's Nigeria, Pakistan, um, uh, Venezuela, and Argentina, those claims are difficult. And it, there would have to be a high bar to convince me to get involved in those litigations. And they're long dated. They're, they're the, the time period by which an arbitration and enforcement against a sovereign can take is potentially decades. Um, look at what Crystal X is doing against Venezuela. It's over a decade now. Now they're on the cusp of getting their money, but it's over 10 years. Life is way too short. We'd rather be involved in a company that has a claim or a trial that's starting. And, you know, actually I'm involved in a situation right now, a, a biotech company that has a trial is starting today. And we can watch the trial, see how it's going, and make our investment by the end of the day or by the end of the week when the trial happens. But these sovereign situations will last way too long uh, for it to really have any positive IRR over that period of time. Well, that leads right into my final question, which is when you think about your next stage of growth, um, how do you think about that future expansion? Is it more doubling, tripling down on what you've been doing already, or are you looking at uh, new avenues for growth in the future? Uh, honestly, John, our existing, whether it's in restructurings and whether it's in these commercial litigation opportunities, we are finding tremendous tremendous opportunities. As I said, there's trials going on almost every day, especially in the biotech sector where there's either a patent dispute, antitrust dispute, a DOJ investigation. Um, my, since I've launched two C's about three years ago, we've now almost have half our portfolio in healthcare and biotech. It's a world where I don't even have competition from other hedge funds, let alone litigation financing firms. And so we find very fertile ground in just commercial disputes within the US amongst large public companies. Uh, we'll continue to do a lot of investments in the restructuring world. Um, and what, what our growth opportunity is just building out the team and adding in more litigation specialists. Our team is comprised of right now six investment professionals, three lawyers and three non-lawyers uh, because the fundamental analysis is critical to determining how much you're paying for that litigation in a public stock or a bond, um, hopefully paying nothing for it. But you need a team of both investment professionals and lawyers to help navigate that world. But we intend to just build out the team and take advantage of these opportunities in commercial litigation situations. And then enhance, uh, we're actually incorporating AI into our analysis. We are incorporating other mechanisms for helping us underwrite these public situations. And we're developing a, watch, a, a great Rolodex of the, not just the best law firms, 
but the right specialists within these law firms on a particular dispute, whether it's antitrust, whether it's under NAFTA, whether it's um, uh, patent disputes uh, related to biotech, we are finding, because we're such a consumer of legal uh, resources, the best in all of these uh, fields, and that should only enhance our ability to uh, find great opportunities. Sounds really great, and a lot on the horizon there. Um, and the biotech definitely sounds definitely sounds interesting. Yeah, we haven't heard a lot of that from our uh, other funders that we've spoken with. So uh, it'd be really interesting to see where that goes. And uh, hopefully we can connect in another couple of years and see if there's more evolution uh, in that sector of the market. But uh, for now, Sina, this was really great. And uh, we, we, we appreciate you coming on and, and um, really sharing your unique business model. This was really, really interesting for us. So thank you for, for coming on here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And if you'd like to learn more about Two Seas Capital, you can visit them at their website, twoseascap.com. It's T-W-O-S-E-A-S-C-A-P.com. And um, yeah, this was a very interesting episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Litigation Finance Podcast.